Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we are going to have a very special show. We have invited back one of my favorite people, Jacqueline Miller, who is the author of a book, anthologist of a book, called The New Heart at Work. She actually first wrote it uh, some years back and uh, co-authored with uh, Jack Canfield, and she has since, with her other dear friend and colleague, Heidi Albert, revised the book entirely and upgraded it and added to it and really changed its entire entire ethos around to a whole other level. And that will be the subject of at least the first part of our show today. Then we will move into uh, a whole other hat that Jackie wears largely, which has to do with her being the co-founder with her husband, Andrew Michael, of Partnerships for Change, a nonprofit organization that is doing exceedingly wonderful work in different parts of the world, largely Asia, now starting in the United States. And we'll get an update on the kind of work that Partnerships for Change has been doing. So uh, just to tell you, I'm actually in the book. I wrote a chapter for her latest version of Hard at Work. It's a very heartfelt book, and I really was uh, privileged to be part of it. And I'm also on the advisory board of Partnerships for Change because I feel so good about the work that they are doing and really love to stand, and a better world stands completely behind what they do. So, Jackie Miller, welcome to A Better World. It's great to have you back. Well, thank you, Mitchell, and you are one of our very most favorite people, so I'm really, really happy to talk to you any any time I can get an opportunity. So even if it's even if you only talk to me on your radio show, it's very nice to speak with you. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> right. I try not to limit it to that, Jackie. You know that. <laughs> oh, the door is always open, my dear, but I enjoy a good joke. It's always wonderful. Um, it's so nice to have you. And, of course, your husband, Andrew Michael, has been on as well and uh, and on A Better World TV. That's how we first met. And uh, what a wonderful, wonderful exchange and relationship we've had since, really, since the late 1990s. It seems like forever, a very good forever, and I, I so appreciate it. So, Jackie, you continue to do such good work. Tell us about what inspired the new face of Heart at Work. What do you have in mind? And uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, you know, it's, it's really built on the unexpected success of our last book, which, as you know, was translated into nine languages, is available in over 11 countries, and the first um, the first two months it went on the bestsellers <clears throat> list. So I, I mm-hmm. just can't say enough for the importance of transformation in business and how we really look at the, the, the most important part of, of work, that, you know, we're not dealing with just corporations, but we're dealing with people and human beings that make up those corporations and we when yes. we pay attention to the softer issues primarily um the the power of empowerment 
it really does impact the bottom line. So we've taken a, a, a whole look at, do a lot of research, and, and this is not just a lot of fluff, a lot of airy-fairy stuff, but we've really looked at the economics of emotional literacy in the workplace and the economics of paying attention to um, empowerment and recognition and giving people a sense of belonging and a sense of power and control over their job and their lives. One thing that we've um, learned time and time again in business is the power of those four-letter words. And the, the by that I mean the power of love in the workplace, the power of what it means to be kind in the workplace and what it means to care, to really care for each other and the products and the quality of our work and the impact that our work and our jobs have um, has on the, the environment. So one thing um, I think I just want to mention is, is um, what you you contributed to the book, Mitchell, was really very, very important. And you talked about um, sacred stewardship, the relationship between the environment and business, and yeah. the whole paradigm of cooperative winning. And so often, you know, it's, it's a battle. It's always we versus they, and, and there's never yeah. a win-win uh, concept <clears throat> at all. It's always bigger is better, and and if um, you know we can succeed, it 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 really um, it doesn't matter who we kill. And literally, what we found the reason we do these books every five or ten years is because so much happens, and there's an evolution in the workplace, but also there's a de-evolution, de-evolution, excuse me, and things really happen that are terrible. Mm-hmm. For example, we are. In addition to books, we've also been um, producing a number of award-winning documentaries. The most recent is uh, a a documentary called Who Pays the Price? And it's the human cost of electronics with Mm. Heather White, who is a brilliant, brilliant scientist, a brilliant expert on supply chain. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when work kills, it's time to take action. And yes. a lot of people don't know this, but our wonderful iPhones that we're using currently, probably right now to do this interview, um, <laughs> are literally killing people in China. When Foxconn, who's a subcontractor for for, for Apple in China, mm-hmm. couldn't make the demand for the iPhones that everyone here wanted so badly and everyone was waiting in line for um, they subcontracted to another subcontractor, and there are no requirements or no restrictions on the use of benzene, which is a highly carcinogen, carcinogenic sure. chemical. And they've been using the benzene to wipe down the computers and the iPhones, and guess what? Occupational mm. leukemia at the highest alarming rate. Thousands oh. and thousands of workers, young kids, that are simply getting these jobs to support their families are dying. So um, we were able to do a really solid um, uh, series on the abuse in the Chinese labor's um, labor camps around technology. So having said that, that is why we... Has that film been released, Jackie? 
What, it, Has that film been released? It, we're working on completing it currently. It's going to its final edit right now, actually in the Berkshires. Um, oh. The um, Wired magazine just did a cover story on it. It was unbelievable. Oh, um, we put it on YouTube, and it got over a million hits just last oh, month. My. So um, we are definitely... You mean the whole film or sections of the film? Sections of the film on YouTube, yes. So um, we will be um, releasing it very soon and hopefully Sundance and um, other venues. And then um, uh, CNN, the BBC, and Al Jazeera have expressed keen interest in um, uh, picking it up. So the main part that I really want everyone to take away from this film is, first of all, Heather White is probably the most talented communicator of our time. She's brilliant, she's smart, and she's an outstanding investigative journalist and researcher. And so much so that this film is so accurate and so on target that the Chinese government has been giving it airtime. Because it's not the Chinese government that's killing these people. It is the Apple, it is Apple, Foxconn, and their their kind of global uh, business yes. partners. So yes. when um, when you know when when you were talking uh, in your chapter, getting back to hard at work about the yes. importance of you know this whole thing and business and and eco business, I think that yes. that what we can do is I, I think we need to take your your chapter, Mitchell and send it to Apple because I don't think that they've understood the importance of what's happening because there's clearly no win-win here. And and literally people are dying so that Apple wins and their profits win. And they're the most uh, outrageously uh, successful company. They're the number one largest uh, company in the world right now. They can spare to not kill, I I would think, you know. So, um, I agree, Jackie. I, I, I think it's uh, – yeah, I'm sorry. Please go on. Oh, so, you know, there's there's no moderation here. There's no uh, yes. uh, sense of eco-friendliness. There's nothing right. – No win-win. Um, no win-win. There's right. no win-win. There's no <clears throat> ecological, ethical, or humane, humane part of their business. It's all about profit. So what we what we see here is uh, a latter day expression of the same phenomenon that's been going on for, if not uh, thousands of years, probably thousands, certainly many hundreds, and also certainly since the industrial revolution, uh, it has intensified with the working conditions in England, for instance. At the, at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and childhood labor, <clears throat> which was nothing short of what we refer to today as childhood slave labor. It's another form of human trafficking, really. So we see that we didn't have to go as far as the what we call third world countries or developing countries or far away Asian countries. But right here in our own European and American backyards, Jackie, this kind of horrific, egregious moral or lack of moral attitude toward others, 
in the workplace has been going on. Uh, you know, it's I mean, terrible. I don't have to, I mean, right? I mean, it's been going on. I mean, just the entire slave trade of from Africa to the United, to the colonies, you know, to South America, to the Caribbean. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. So what you're saying, it's no less horrific. In fact, perhaps it's more horrific that the icon of a company, Apple, is perpetuating this kind of madness when it has this sort of faux image of being a people-friendly company. And your film and everything you've been sharing with us here at A Better World shows just the very opposite. But I want to bring forward that it's within a context of abusiveness, <clears throat> of, of, uh, of uh, different kinds of the, the worst, of the human shadow just keeps popping up because it shows greater economic profitability. So one of the good things that, you know, Heart at Work does and your work and ours here at A Better World is showing that there are multiple bottom lines, you know, from a business point of view. And happiness and well-being among the employees is one of the central ones, <clears throat> not money. In fact, money is way down the totem pole if you really want to look at it from a, let's say, a higher, more humanitarian point of view. And I believe that that is the direction, despite appearances that we're going in. Your comments? Oh, absolutely. And I know that the whole future needs to incorporate so many more aspects Particularly as business do the as, as businesses do their strategic planning and look at the future, if they do not incorporate kindness, love, and a whole deeper level and a, and a whole new paradigm, um, yes. we will end up in the proverbial we versus they, us versus them. And yes. there, that will be the, the ruination of, of uh, humanity as we know it. Absolutely. And it has, really? to, it has, to, uh, it has to stop. You know, just uh, one more thing about Heather White. She is the um, one, she is the person that called out Nike for all the sweatshops. Oh, really? In Vietnam. She also called out Nike and all the manufacturers, the Gap, et cetera. Uh, in the tech oh. Oh, so wow. he has a whole series of books and documentaries that we're currently I see. Uh, working with her on, and I'm just so proud to be um, her exec, one of her executive producers on Who Pays the Price, because that's really what it gets down to, is that we will all pay the price. Eventually. Yes, indeed. But yeah, indeed. But you know, on a, yeah, on a lighter that note, is one I'm of us. So I'm so glad that you found each other, so you can help broadcast quite literally um, the work in her books, because we're becoming more and more a visual culture, and fewer people are reading and more people are watching. So it's a very that's a match made in heaven. I'm really glad to hear it. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. So. Just so, um, just uh, the 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 one thing that I'm 
so really, really over the over the moon proud about for the new hard at work, the new book, is that Mark Benioff, it took time to acknowledge our book and has done so every chance that he gets. But on the cover of our book, he wrote a fabulous testimonial for us. And, yes, he did. Um, for those of you who who don't don't know, is Mark is the founder and the CEO of Salesforce. He's also mm-hmm. a best-selling author. He wrote a great book called Behind the Cloud, and also the business of changing the world and mm. compassionate capitalism. So Mark recently was able to stand in his truth. And as a business leader, he refused to do business with the state of Indiana. When Mike Pence said he was not going to allow uh, and and uh, help uh, gays and lesbians, and he mm-hmm. put out that ridiculous statement, well, yes. Mark said no business for Indiana, would not allow Salesforce to do any business there, would not allow any of his vendors to do any business there, would not allow any of his employees to go to Indiana. And because Mm. he restricted all commerce, Mike Pence, the governor of Indiana, had to revoke his his edict and allow um, equality for gay and lesbians in Indiana. And, of course, it didn't hurt that Mark is, the icon and so respected in Silicon Valley, and he was able to call up all his buddies, and all the other companies followed suit. So I just can't say enough about about Mark Benioff and his level of kindness and goodness, and he is all about love, all about being kind, and all about Mm. his incredible capacity to care for his people, to care for others, to care for just the poorest of the poor. And I just have to say now that he's uh, going to be one of the leaders in this environmental um, uh, uh, paper that they're writing uh, this month that will be out in July at the Vatican. So I'm at the so Vatican. On the environment. Really? At the, at the Vatican for the environment. Yes. Yeah. So we're really excited about that. And I just want to just say how just over the moon I am about Mark's incredible leadership, but also Jeffrey Sachs, who, again, shows up and shows us all the way to be. And and I don't know if you were able to see Jeffrey at the right hand of the Pope at the Vatican when they had the the last gathering on the environment in, in Rome, but it was quite impressive, so... Jeffrey, Very I, I think with Jeffrey Sachs and Mark Benioff, I think we'll, I think we're going to be okay as a, as far as humanity goes. I like that. I like that. But I would throw in Jackie Miller there too. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a nobody. <laughs> these, these are, these are people that are really, really doing it, really doing it. But, that is um, you wonderful. You know, and I say too that I just, I've just. Um, come from speaking at Johns Hopkins um, at a medical um, meeting that they had in their OBGYN department, and I am so impressed with the level of of advanced uh, kindness, if you will, and the mm-hmm. research that they're doing in that department is just it's just mind blowing. 
Um, I just I, in, I really in what respects? Well, do you know that they first of all they are always the leaders every year in in their field in the entire world. But they have done such work in global health. Not only have they supported Partnerships for Change's work in the most remote place on Earth, in the upper Himalayas, in <clears throat> upper Dolpo in Nepal, to do a rescue yeah. mission and to do yeah. a wonderful uh, research and analysis of motherhood at 14,000 feet at these incredibly high altitudes, which they yeah. came back and wrote an incredible paper and did a marvelous presentation on, and they continue to support partnerships for change in our health clinics that we're building around the world. But mm-hmm. they have gotten so incredibly skilled in technology, and here's the flip side to Apple who's killing people with technology, but they are saving lives with technology. They Medical technology? In utero, in, in almost the most finite technology where they're able to, in utero, go in and correct an abnormality in the fetus so the child is able to live and not die in utero but also to be born healthy that no one else on the earth is doing this. this That's remarkable. Is it using some kind of medical technology? It is the most minute form of uh, of almost laparoscopic where they go in to the the baby, the the fetus, and on monitors they're able to correct and see what they're doing with these tiny, tiny microscopic, literally under microscopes Mm -hmm. uh, devices. And it's really, it's really quite, quite remarkable. So extraordinary, extraordinary. They are breaking, breaking ground every day there. And uh, it's no uh, joke that I, I really think that if they restructured that that hospital, the um, there's one woman there who heads up maternal fetal health named Karen Blakemore, Dr. Karen Blakemore, and I. I Definitely, I think she should be the chief kindness officer at John Hopkins. <laughs> well, you know, that's a very interesting idea because this kind of new officers in the company are beginning to show themselves. I've heard of such things, and in fact, I think there's some reference to it in your book, The New Heart at Work. Um, certainly, one of the things that you've been doing a lot so far on today's show, Jackie, is acknowledging a lot of people from Mark Benioff to the Johns Hopkins people to Heather White. And in your book, and as I know in your life, that is a very important feature of it, which I think is fabulous, and it is in mine as well, which is the power of acknowledgement and the work of Mike Wyman, who is one of the authors in the book as well. Could you speak a little bit about that? Because this is a a part of, and you know, where I come from with my background in psychology and holistic practice, it show what we see is when people are acknowledged, it actually has a cellular effect on them. Immune function increases and improves because there's greater oxygenation in the cell and serotonin increases. There's an entire 
neurophysiological profile that occurs when people are kind to one another, when people are grateful to and for each other, and when people acknowledge each other. Exactly. Exactly. And the if there was a master of acknowledgement in the world, Michael Wyman would be that. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but his whole life dedicated to the power of acknowledgement. His books were written. They were titled The Power of Acknowledgement. He taught Indeed. programs and courses and seminars and on the power of acknowledgement and the amazing power of acknowledgement and how it really does uplift. I mean, and, and we're talking about accurate acknowledgement. We're not just talking about acknowledging everyone, but we're talking for results oriented, results-based, and and all the... Did I lose you? Oh, no, not at all. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. Something just flashed on my, my, uh, my screen here. But the results that are due someone, then that acknowledgement really makes all the difference. So, um, you know, yeah, I, that, I can give a clear example of that, uh, which is that uh, many years ago, through you, he came to my place with a group of four black men who had formed a group called Beyond Belief. Each one of them had been down and out and had been an alcoholic, had been on the streets, were drug addicts, living out of shopping carts under bridges in different parts of Manhattan or the boroughs. They ended up at uh, the Bowery Mission, cleaned up their act, and formed an a cappella group. And they would go around singing beautifully and educate kids, largely, about staying away from drugs and alcohol and leading a clean, healthy, you know, love-based life. And in this case, also a spiritually-based life. It was so beautiful. That, Jackie, was an example of uh, acknowledgement, sort of in the raw, in the flesh. And for me... It was, I to this day, I say, that was one of the most fun and meaningful interviews I have ever done with those four Aww. gentlemen. Okay? Truly. He's, he is Truly. great. He really knows how to do that, and, and he knew how to do that. And he, he would literally find the most down-and-out human being and show his give you proof because he would take a person who had nothing at the time um, really going for them um, that one could see and turn them all into these incredible uh, successful human beings self-reliant self-reliant individuals and and I I, one of my favorite stories Michael Wyman's stories um, and he was the ultimate trainer, ultimate coach. He was a coach to coaches. And uh-huh. he, he he talked his 
friend um, who's a, a doctor and another colleague, um, they had gone to see the, the Rangers play, and uh, the Rangers had never won a Stanley Cup. They had never won really anything, and they were like last in last place for the season. And he mm-hmm. and his buddies, at the end of the game, they walked across the ice, and they went into, I think his name was Craig Patrick at the time. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Or, I wouldn't um, know. Coach of the the Rangers, and they went into his office unannounced uh, and just showed up at the door and and uh, also uninvited. <laughs> the, the uninvited, and the the the, um, uh, the the coach says, "Well, uh, you know, who are you? What what are you doing here?" And he was quite upset because he just lost the game. And Michael Wyman looks at him and goes. Well, we're the three wise men, and we're here to grant you anything you want. (laughs) And (laughs) Coach looks at him, and he goes, oh, my God, well, I want to win a Stanley Cup. I want to win something. And Michael goes, your wish is our command. And he worked with him, and you know what? They won every game from then on and went on to win the Stanley Cup. So that was Michael Wyman. He would just show up. He would show up, as you said, uninvited and unannounced, and he would turn the morale around. He would turn the 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 future. He created people's futures and and uh, really worked directly with sports teams and and uh, business teams and uh, really and and a lot of social entrepreneurs. He he worked at the United Nations. He did a lot of really great work with a lot of the environmental leaders, particularly at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. In fact, he got us to Rio de Janeiro for the Earth Summit back in 1992. So, yes. So interesting. So interesting. And, of course, he's in the book. Let's let everybody know you were listening to a Better World. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time and sometimes throughout the week as well, and you can always listen, and most people do, I know, in archive. It's always a pleasure. You can get onto our free newsletter at abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv, where you'll also see listings of our weekly uh, television show in New York City. Uh, It's aired on Manhattan Cable Network at 7 p.m., but you can also listen and watch online at abetterworld.tv. Today we're spending the entire program with Jacqueline Miller, the author, co-author, anthologist of The New Heart at Work, which is the focus of our dialogue today. And also we're looking at Partnerships for Change and some of the good work we're weaving here, uh, some of the good work that it is doing uh, using these days films for making some very powerful uh, pronouncements about and reports about what's going on in the interface of technology and human life. And it's very important, the work you're doing, Jackie. I so applaud it. I acknowledge it. Uh, Let's say also, um, going back to the book for a moment, uh, you have just some outstanding people among whom are uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and Marianne Williamson. And uh, both have been, by the way, on either A Better World TV, 
Thich Nhat Hanh or Marianne has been on a Better World Radio a number of times on this show as well. So Khalil Gibran, I mean, you have really gone down and deep to get just wonderful, wonderful examples of how to bring self-esteem, humanity, kindness, cooperation. You know, neuroscience these days is showing us that these are these cooperative characteristics are actually what keeps us alive. It keeps the species surviving, which is our sort of a psychobiological, perhaps spiritual mandate, you know, as a species to keep it alive. It's not through killing. It's not through murder. It's not the notion of survival of the fittest. That's not true. It's been proven that uh, kindness, love, social cooperation, working together are the things that actually brings our species through the darkest moments and greatest challenges. Your comments? Absolutely. It is. It, and we can lead, uh, you know, it may sound really corny, but people can lead with their heart and yeah, and really show and model what it is to be human. And, and then, then there's a way, then there's a light at the end of the tunnel that when we do not take the, the altitude and, and show in everything we do, a new way. And, and, you know, I always say the main thing that needs to happen in the world today is we need to teach people how to be human again because people exactly. have lost their humanness. They have lost. They don't know how to be human. We bury ourselves in our computers. We bury ourselves in our in our technology. In our technology, in yeah. We hide from the world. And then there's, the, 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 there's such grief, there's such suffering that we can just with a click of wrist turn it off. So we can we can hide from things, we can choose not to see things, and we we really do not even honor the right for others to be happy or to have joy. And I just um I just can't say enough about the importance of of travel and, and reaching out and seeing what really goes on in the world outside of our ivory towers or our, you know, wonderful little communities. Um, one thing we do at Partnerships for Change is we, we do learning journeys or spiritual safaris, if you will, but we take people on on trips and adventures to to India, to Burma, to Cambodia, to South Africa, where we help people see their own power to to change, to make a difference in people's lives. And a lot of times when people don't want to go because they feel so helpless. But when you show people that they're, they are in a position to help others and you show them how to help responsibly, then they really light up and they, they, they kind of refine their muscles in their heart, if you will, to reach out to help others because they know how to do it and they know that they can do it. Otherwise, Absolutely. they just think they're they're in total overwhelm. People are so uh, they they just don't think they can do anything and they shut down and they choose not to see. They choose not to look, and the problems get worse and worse. So, yeah, I would say that that we need to reach out. That there 
their benefits to compassion, um, and those benefits benefit the giver more than they do the receiver. In so every it's interesting. Your uh, several of your trips to to India, you and Andy, your wonderful husband, have uh, included meeting with the Dalai Lama. Talk about compassion and dealing with, to some extent, the Tibetan Buddhist community and their outreach, dealing with some lamas who are going to those remote places in the Himalayas where there is a culture, unfortunately, of some different forms of child abuse and have done remarkable things in saving many girls and bringing them to a new environment and new freedom and uh, education. Would you tell us a little bit about that project as well as a few others that Partnerships for Change have been uh, pioneering? Oh, well, yeah, I'd love to. Um, one of the, the, the areas of Partnerships for Change that we've been working on is is supporting um, and building capacity for, uh, we call them our spiritual entrepreneurs. And, and our spiritual entrepreneurs are, we're a very non-denominational organization and we're a United Nations NGO and we work with monks and Catholic priests and nuns and Hindus and sadhus and and atheists and and people that are and we do a lot of work with the Theravada Buddhist monks as well mm-hmm. as the Tibetan Buddhist monks. So one of our um, and they find us. I have no idea. They we're we're headquartered in the Presidio of San Francisco, and literally someone <laughs> will hear about us and bring someone, and they just literally knock on the door. So one of our monks. Um, <laughs> Um, we is is a wonderful, incredible humanitarian um, named Lama Tenzin Chogyal, and Lama Tenzin is a Tibetan Buddhist monk. He's uh, all, he's in the Humanitarian Hall of Fame with Mother Teresa and the Dalai Lama because yeah. he is he risks his life time and time again to save these children that would have died in remote areas and the um, an area in Upper Nepal. Um, they have a, about fifty or sixty thousand. Um, literally, the indigenous Tibetans have have escaped from Tibet and settled in this area. And there's something incredibly interesting about the genetic their DNA of these indigenous Tibetans. First of all, secondly, they have very um, a very interesting culture, and they. They have ancient Tibetan Tibetan beliefs have a lot of uh, um, well, I'm not going to say I better say this very carefully. Um, They they have a very interesting belief system that uh, that girls are, are if they're born with a deformity, it is a very bad omen. So a a girl if a girl is born or any child, really, but a girl. You mean bad? You mean bad omen? A bad omen, bad sign, bad omen, and they are they bad are karma, no doubt. Bad karma. Oh, really? The worst. So they are forced to 
be raised, they, they put them out to be raised by the cattle. They're not allowed inside any of the huts. And they, the mothers basically have to, to put their child out to die. So what Mama Tenson does is he goes and he rescues these kids. And he brings them, carries them out. Now, these are 20-day trips, 10-hour day trips into the upper Himalayas. He crosses the um, these inc- uh, unbelievably high altitudes, 17,000 feet altitudes. He has to cross four times to get to this remote area. So the, these kids, he goes, he saves their lives. He brings them back. Incredible. And, and as little babies, he brings little babies back. He's, he raises them in a place in northern India, in Dehradun, India, where they are given the finest education in a private school, a private English-speaking school. They're given unbelievable love, care, food, spiritual teaching, and I just can't say enough for what he does for these kids. And, again, I have to thank Mark Benioff says these kids now, the four oldest kids, and we've been doing this for, for over 20 years, the four oldest kids are in college. Um, and mm. they're in a very good school, one studying to be a software engineer, someone else is studying to be an accountant, uh, business leader, someone else is in fashion design. So, I mean, these are really um, great stories where these kids would have died and now they're thriving. So, and what, what is Mark Benioff's role in that? He's been um, one of our champions and one of our supporters. And, and uh, oh, okay, also, uh, partnerships for change. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and he's uh, he's also um, in uh, later on in this year in 2015 in the late fall we are bringing the um, uh, medium of the Oracle of Tibet and his that. Uh, five of his months back to uh, the United States, United States. The Bay Area. So well, you brought him on to a better world and the Lama, Lama Tenzin, many years ago. We had them both on yes. Uh, yes. to, you know, proceed with uh, the wisdom of the oracle of what he sees is going on, you know, on the planet, and uh, Lama Tenzin to share his Incredible heart, as you're saying, uh, with our audience uh, and the good, amazing work that he's doing. I want to ask, however, is there any effort to uh, educate the uh, indigenous Tibetans up there in that part of Nepal so that they might think differently and uh, cease to carry on that kind of, let's just say, steeped in superstition kind of practice? You know, interesting that you... Because otherwise it looks like it's emergency medicine instead of preventative. Oh, this is a very great question you've asked, and the exciting part is that, yes, in fact, the proof is in the pudding. So what we've been doing is we've been bringing the girls back Upper Dolpo oh. last year, and the the, oh. the families could not believe the success. And the one one of the tribal chiefs there uh, wanted yeah. um, wanted uh, to come back to stay there. 
you know, so she can oh. take care of the cattle, take care of the yak, and, you know, bring him his, his yak butter tea every day. Well, oh. she said no, and she was studying to be a lawyer, and when she finished, got her law degree, she would then she then wants to come back and fight for the women's rights up there. <laughs> so, so, you That's know, brilliant. that's what's happening, and they were shocked. They're always shocked to see the advancement, and they're seeing the power that these girls have now. So it's 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 happening, and uh, it's happening Beautiful. just by the fact that they are seeing their these transformed beings alive and well and thriving. So oh my! Yes, we do go back, and we are organizing another trip for twenty fifteen to go back there as well. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, my God, that's such good work. And uh, we have a diminishing number of uh, minutes here, but I want to ask you because you've done also so much in in Asia, Cambodia, and elsewhere regarding um, landmines and the way that's affected, they've affected children and others. And you have a whole project. Could you just tell our audience a little bit about that? The most encouraging, I think, um, organization right now in in India is called the their chief patron D R Mehta, who's a Jain, by the way, a spectacular mm-hmm. human being. He has funded and gotten this organization that does prosthetics. They they give for free prosthetics to anyone because D R Mehta feels that. Someone that's lost a limb should not have to pay to get a limb. That loss is payment enough. And anyone that can get there, he gives these limbs to. And I tell you, these limbs are fabulous. They last longer than the titanium prosthetics that we spend ten and fifteen and twenty thousand dollars for in this country. They also have a flexible foot. So the 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 people that are our, our Muslim friends and our Hindu friends and our Buddhist friends that need to pray and kneel, and they this is a flexible foot, so they can still get up and down. They're far more mobile. Yes. And yes. the Jaipur foot is is now in many countries, and they are just spectacular. And I can't say enough. They also last longer than this the the titanium um, prosthetic. So we are in the so process of introducing the dry foot to the United States in the hopes that we can use the... And also, the great thing is it looks like a leg. So at a distance, it does not look like someone's lost their leg. And they can also coordinate the color of the skin tone with the dry yes. the prosthetics. So, and, uh-huh. and wearing shoes is not an issue. So there's so many different reasons why this could be seen as a temporary... Um, until they get the fancy whatever if they want it. Um, yeah. But we um, we have a long way to go because, of course, in this country we have barriers like the FDA and all these sorts of hurdles that you have to go through. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, the drive foot is alive and well and, and helping to make people ambulatory because, as you know, in, in developing countries, if you can't walk, you're you're out of business, that you're out of work, and you really sure. die. So, sure. um, and, and the interesting thing here, the crazy part of our 
system in the United States is that our insurance will cover one prosthetic, but it will only cover that one. So if and the, everyone knows these prosthetics don't last forever. They maybe last for three years, and then yeah. your insurance will not give you another one. So the problem is that if you do not have a prosthetic, you're not going to be ambulatory or walk. The chances, if you particularly have diabetes or something that forced you to have your one leg amputated, your your second leg will probably have to be amputated as well because you're not mobile. So yes. um, it's just an insane system we have, and that's a topic for another day and probably exactly. many shows. But the exactly. lack of equity in our and and the lack of uh, you know, I mean, these are plain. <sighs> this is based on stupidity. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, but that harkens back to where we began the entire conversation, which has to do with bringing equity, human equity, into the marketplace, into the business world. That's where it belongs. That's where it should never have left. And that's where I, you know, Jackie, I have said so many times, I feel like it's been the, uh, the cutting edge of business that has actually helped to bring us to the brink of human and environmental disaster and catastrophe, quite honestly. And I also think that it's going to be in the same domain of business that's going to bring us back. Jackie, did I lose you? You're breaking up, so it's hard to hear you. Jackie. Okay. It's talk about remote places. Don't think she's calling from Nepal, but <laughs> uh, wherever with a cell phone. Can you hear me? Has, now I can hear you, yes. What was it you said? It's going back and forth. Your work is. I'm sorry, it's. Last statement. I said your work is the most important, bringing a better world to the forefront and bringing kindness and love to the world. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate that. Jackie Miller, we will have you back on again, as you know, as you very well pointed out, just dealing with the Jaipur foot alone is worthy of certainly an entire show to really educate people about the work that Partnerships for Change are doing, uh, largely in Asia, but it has direct application to what goes on in this country with our wounded warriors and our vets and others who have lost limbs and are suffering tremendously um, or with inferior limbs. And there are answers. There, it's, a, it's an amazing story in itself. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for being on today and your fabulous work, you and uh, Andrew Michael and the Albert sisters, Heidi and Linda, and your entire wonderful group connected to Partnerships for Change. Thanks so much for all that you do. Do you want to share a website? Yes, um, partnershipsforchange.com. And we do that because we're a social profit. Even though we also are a .org, we want to make sure people know that there is a great deal of profit for humanity in being a nonprofit. So partnershipsforchange.com. <laughs> 
Beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you again so much, and we will have you on again. We'll talk soon. Great. Thanks, Mitchell. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Bye-bye. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World, just one of my favorite, favorite people of all time, and uh, just completely committed to world transformation and supporting the humanness of us all. She, Andy Michael, her husband, are really very dear friends, and I've been watching them and participating with them over the course of uh, some 15-plus years with the work they've been doing and a better world, as she said, has been tremendously supportive of their various efforts. And it's really a pleasure and an honor. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of our show today. I want to remind you that we are a, uh, hopefully we'll become a profitable nonprofit. But as it is right now, we so appreciate your donations and your attention and time to our show, spreading the word. We are cover a gamut of issues from the deepest of humanitarian questions and issues to those of ecological, environmental, and economic issues. We don't shy away from things. We are looking hard and fast and always coming up with a humanitarian solution because they are here, and that's really the only solution, is a human-human, loving and compassionate solution. It works. It works. And actually, nothing else does. We have to create a culture of peace and creativity. That's our game here, creating a series of subcultures of peace. And once you have enough of those subcultures, you will have a culture of peace, because right now we're living in truly the opposite, except for those subcultures that are always coming to visit us here at A Better World, and of which you are part. So remember to come and visit us at our website, abetterworld.tv. Sign up for the free newsletter there, and uh, become part of that solution and A Better World's community and family. Thanks again for joining me, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.